You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. In today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Maggie Malik, the powerhouse CEO of the Houston-based ad agency MMI, whom I have had the incredible pleasure of working with for the past few years and whom I am lucky enough to consider a friend now. Maggie is such a genuine, real ray of light in business and life. She's also a power lifter, dog mama, plays Pokemon with her husband. She's basically the coolest. <laughs> Be sure to stay tuned through this episode together. Drop us your thoughts on social media. And without further ado, welcome Maggie. Hi, Erica. It is so awesome to see your face in a year where we don't get to see anyone anymore. And I am so just honored to be a part of this with you. Oh my gosh, it's literally brutal. I feel like the last time I saw you in person was what, Fashion Week, like one or two Septembers ago? I think oh I was pregnant. Gosh. You were pregnant. <laughs> you were very pregnant. Yeah, like it's been a while. <laughs> It has been a while. Oh my gosh. So why don't you just kick us right off by telling everyone your story because you have got so, so, so much here and I'm just really stoked to dive into this conversation. Awesome. Well, so like you said, I am the CEO of the Dream Team at MMI. Um, I have been in my role for about a year, but I uh, was a team member at MMI for a decade before getting promoted to the current role of CEO. Um, you know, my career path has not been, you know, linear. It definitely was a lot of different jumps to get to the place that I wanted to be. Um, I knew ultimately I always wanted to be in PR and communications because I love people. Um, I loved the idea of connecting brands directly with consumers. So my major was always kind of a foregone conclusion. Um, but I also knew that I wanted to be able to lead and mentor and be a part of something bigger. So right out of high school, um, it was after 9-11. So my first step was actually joining the Army Reserves. So I joined the Army Reserves. I was in the Reserves for eight years. Um, and while I was in the, in the Reserves, I um, was majoring in uh, communications at University of Houston. I was really taking any internship I could get. It was right after the last recession. Now we find ourselves <laughs> in another. Um, but it was right after the last recession. And that's kind of where I started learning you know, not to say no to opportunities. I did wedding planning. I did marketing for the MLS and Houston Dynamo soccer team. Um, I started learning a ton about digital. I was doing paid search and social at an agency before it was cool, you know, and then I joined MMI when it was a much more traditional agency to really start our digital practice. Um, I enjoyed it so much. I had a great mentor and our owner, Cindy Marion. The more I learned about the business side of running the agency and operations and HR and again, getting to leverage that part of me that loves leading and mentoring, I knew eventually I did want to lead an organization like MMI. I didn't know necessarily that would mean be CEO. I thought that might be like chief strategy officer or chief operations officer. Um, but that's kind of how I started my path was you know, I was interested in one type of thing. 
I knew I wanted to be a part of something bigger. And then I, I spent really the last decade learning everything I could about what it takes to run a business. Um, so then when, when my former CEO, you know, he left to go uh, work client side. Um, so when the opportunity came up, I, I was ready and just jumped and I said, yes, even though it was crazy and a little scary, but it was super awesome. And I think the timing was just fantastic for everyone. I knew the business side of it. I knew the agency really well. Um, and I knew what we needed to do from a vision perspective to take it through. Um, you know, now we find ourselves again in a giant recession. Um, we've got coronavirus, you know, you've got employees <laughs> dealing with their kids at home. You've got, um, you know, everything going on from the racial injustice side of it. That's super scary that people are dealing with. And, you know, I think being a woman leader leading with empathy during this time while also understanding what we need to do as a business to keep all of the employees safe has really put me in the right position of CEO at the right time for our company. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've really been through the ringer of literally having all the things that could possibly happen yeah. in one year of all of all timing. So it's crazy, but I'm sure you've been doing it with such grace and poise and learning through it all. So it's like, there's really no better person for, for the job <laughs> than you right now in this moment. <laughs> you know, I try. It's it's hard. There are hard days. And, and I think as long as what I try to do is, again, balancing the business side with the human side and finding ways to keep both top of mind have been really important. And I think, you know, my crisis communications training from, you know, one of my prior jobs and then my leadership training from the army has really helped me get through a lot of these things that I see other people kind of panicking. And for me, it's like, well, you know, it's really, really tough, but we're all going to have to get through this together as a company or we could find ourselves in situations like I see other companies who weren't future proofing, who weren't thinking, you know, I think, again, one of the good things about MMI is we're an integrated agency. So like, you know, and you work with our influencer team, but we also do media buying, we do creative, we manage websites. And I think that has really been able to keep us steady through this recession because we've been able to pivot to client needs and keep our business steady. Even if, you know, Facebook ad spend goes away tomorrow, we can pivot over to TikTok or something else, you know? So, um, it's, it's definitely been a crazy year and I would be lying if I said any part of this was easy. But again, I think if you put people first and, and your, your goal is getting the company through so you can get the people through, that's, a much better way to focus than just obsessing about the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess 2020 happenings aside, what do you think has been the biggest challenge in becoming the CEO of a company, particularly, obviously, since you're a female CEO, which has its own whole array of challenges just in and of itself? You know, I think the biggest challenge, and you, you and I have talked about this a lot even before I got promoted, but is just imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is real and it can be very, very debilitating. You know, I think for me, the biggest, the biggest area that I learned to overcome it was probably my time in the army when I was 
one of eight women in a unit of 200 in six months of basic training. That was tough. I was always underestimated. Um, but you know, pushing myself in, you know, American Ninja Warrior type leaping over boulders situations <laughs> helped show me that like, if you, even if you're not coordinated and you're clumsy and goofy, if you put your mind to something, you can do it. So I think for me getting promoted to CEO at first was, oh my gosh, like this is the first time I've ever done this, you know, but if you look back at history and try to ground yourself in a lot of CEOs, it was their first time doing it. And they were picked for a reason. I was picked for a reason and my voice matters. Um, you know, I think it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day -day decisions of like, well, I've never had to make a choice like this before. Am I making the right choice? But really, you know, trusting your gut and knowing you are here in that role for a reason is what I'll, I always try to like make my true north. Um, and that helps me overcome that imposter syndrome. Also having a really strong group of women that are senior executives at other agencies and in other industries. Um, there's a, a woman that actually works at a big um, banking banking organization here in, in Texas. It's a credit union. She's very senior, also has dealt with the Texas good old boys in banking. So she's a friend through a friend. We met each other and like, we kind of talk about like, this is this crazy thing that happened today, you know? So I think having that support system has also really helped, but definitely being young, being a first time CEO, being female, you know, all of those things can, can be super duper challenging. But I think again, giving yourself, trusting yourself, giving yourself, you know, grace and surrounding yourself with really good people who are going to support your decisions, but also tell you when you might be wrong mm. um, has, has been what has helped me get through it successfully. I love that you said too, that you have to remember that you're the first, it's everybody has a first time doing it because that's so true regardless of what field or industry you're in or what position you're in. It's like every single person who is ever famous today had to be a first at some point in their life. They had their first, no one was born CEO. So I feel like that's a really good reminder for people, even if you're not CEO of a company, but you're just, it's your first time in literally anything. You can just- Your first time managing people. Exactly. Your first time presenting. Like your mm -hmm. first time, I mean, even you, like your first time going to speak to companies about what it is like to be an influencer. Oftentimes you're talking to people who don't get it at all. And they're going to ask you all kinds of crazy questions, but like they invited <laughs> you to have a seat at the table because you know what it's like to be a content creator and an influencer and have an audience. And so, yeah, I think that reminder that there's a lot of first firsts <laughs> and they're never going to be easy has been super helpful for me. Oh, absolutely. Do you think it's impacted by the fact that you are also a three wing two like me? I do. I definitely think the three wing two, the achiever side balanced with the wanting to help people side is big because we beat ourselves up more than anyone else. 
Like we're our own worst enemy. Nobody needs to tell me that they second guess my decision. <laughs> I, I already thought 400 different ways to do it before I settled on the final one and beat every single one up, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that's part of it. Yeah. Cause literally I think it was not the most recent, but one before that there's an episode on thrive that we did with an Enneagram coach. And she said the biggest form of self-sabotage for Enneagram threes is imposter syndrome. And it is like the core thing that we struggle with the most and oh my gosh it could not be more true it's so funny because it's it's funny too when you think of enneagrams you know i actually get really anxious before big presentations before this podcast i got really anxious because i'm like why does erica want me to be a guest? oh my or gosh <laughs> why does the whole company want to hear from me and i think the big thing i've also learned about enneagram is you can really stereotype people like people think of you know me or you as super confident and having it together all of the time and we're competitive and we're gonna crush everyone around us when really like that's not the core of the enneagram three that's just the public kind of facing perception and so being able to give people that grace Two, knowing that like I, I've been really open with the company at times to say, hey guys, like I've overthought this presentation. I really care about everybody's feedback, but I want you guys to know, just like you get nervous before presenting, I get nervous too. Just because I'm a three and just because I'm an achiever and you think I have it all together all the time, we're all humans, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I sometimes think even that, that no people knowing that you're in a neogram three can be a little bit of a um a challenge yeah no i i also think though that this is part of why you are so good in the role you are and i also think it's probably what's contributed a little bit to my my own like success if you want to call it that as a content creator is because we're both very transparent people where we're willing to sit down and say hey, listen, let me peel back the curtain for you for a hot sec to relate to you so that you know you're not alone and you're not the only one feeling this. So I'm sure as a leader, probably that helps you every single day. The fact that you're you're not, you don't feel like you have to have it all together all of the time or appear like you do. It's like you're willing to sit down and be like, hey, listen, I'm not perfect and I know you're not either and that's okay. Like you, you're real with people, which is probably so appreciated by everyone who works for you. Well, I think, again, going back to the idea of like, I know what I'm really good at, but I also, I think one of the things I've tried to do really hard throughout my career is identify the blind spots of what I'm not so good at. And then I surround myself with people who complement those areas. And I take feedback very seriously. Like I give feedback and I want to receive feedback. I also think disagreement is a really healthy and important part of having open relationships. So part of my leadership style is I definitely lead with vulnerability. I lead openly, you know, like when we had our, when we've had company meetings and we've had to talk about challenging things, I'm very open about like, you know, this was a tough decision and I am making it because as my job as CEO is to protect as many people as I can protect. So this is what we're doing. Um, but I, I just think that that's a, a lot, it's a different leadership style than you may learn in business school. You know, not everybody is going to be comfortable saying to the, to the company, Hey, this is an uncomfortable decision, but I had to make it. And so this is what we're doing. But then on the flip side, I also am always really unapologetic about the fact that I am protecting 
this group of people so that we can get through everything together. And it's not always easy, but like I, you know, I am a lot more open than many CEOs are. And I just think that that's what works for me. And I think that people, if you look at companies who've been through hard times, like whether it's, you know, old Navy 10 years ago when they were thinking about shutting their doors, one of the things they did culturally is they said, Hey guys, we're all in this together. What do we, what do we need to do? If you look at, you know, the clout CEO or any other really successful CEOs, what you see is they lead with that vulnerability and they listen to their advisors, they listen to their customers. Then you see CEOs like Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, who is like a robot and he's going to say the things he's going to say. And he believes those things, but he doesn't listen to dissent or disagreement. And he squashes people who have different opinions. I want different opinions. I, I think a good idea can come from everyone, from our receptionists to our creative team. I want that feedback from everybody to make us better. Mm -hmm. Do you think people ever treated you differently for better or worse because you're a woman? I do. I definitely do. I mean, I am very passionate. You know, I think women are taught, again, if you look at what's going on in the press right now related to Kamala and how women are spoken about when they are outspoken, um, you, I at least, sometimes have a tendency to want to temper my passion or be quieter and wait to listen for others to speak because I worry that I'll be second guessed or I'll be seen as too emotional. But I think that we're seeing that people want to be led by non-robots. They want to know that you care and have feelings and I've tried to, you know, I say y'all in presentations, you know, when I present to our investors, I have a cat image that says planning for unbridled success. Like I've just for a long time, probably, you know, in my late twenties, I would try to be this perfect PR person. Like, like look at the, how they are in the New York agencies and they're always very serious and they never say y'all and they don't get excited. I think brands and your team, like they want to see that you're really passionate. And so I've tried to throw out some of that out the window. Like, yeah, there's going to be times I'm too passionate and yes, I'm going to get emotional about certain decisions. And if people have an issue with that, then that's fine. I don't need them in my life. I don't need that kind of advice or energy. Um, I think we have a long way to go as a society for women to be treated as equals, for people of color to be treated as equals. There are not many of us. Um, when I, you know, think about the resumes that come off across my desk, like for media, media team members, senior media team members are always white guys, you know, and then you look at the PR communication side, they're always women. How do we get more different opinions and more diversity in those different groups so that in 20 years, there are more women CEOs. So being seen as passionate and emotional isn't a bad thing. I've been in meetings with men who are just as passionate as I am and that is celebrated. But then when I get really excited as an, an, an idea, you know, it can be kind of glossed over. I just try to remember I have a voice for a reason and that my opinion matters. And so 
one of the other ways I overcome it is I make sure I'm leading with like facts. So even if I'm super pumped about something, I'm saying, hey, this is the insight for why, and this is why I'm super passionate about it, or this is why it matters for your brand. That can help dispel some of the, oh, well, she's just really excited, or, you know, she cares too much is something else I've, I've heard over the years. You want people that care. You want people that are excited about the work that, that they're doing. So it's frustrating, but I also think it's just the reality of the situation. Um, and for all the listeners, that is my puppy who is kennel training, who's now laying down and going to sleep. <laughs> so sorry about that. Ziggy. <laughs> yeah, Ziggy. Ziggy Stardust. He's so good. Um, but so I think that's, again, is just going back to even the idea of imposter syndrome is we have to support each other and it's difficult, but you have to remember your, your own truth and you have to speak that truth to power in difficult situations. And again, if somebody shuts you down, it's fine. They're not an advocate for you. And then you just have to strategically figure out how to deal with that person. I also think it's important to not take it personally, because I almost wonder if that's something that holds women back from rising ranks more in leadership roles is because everything can be taken as a personal attack instead of being able to separate it a little bit and distance it and literally just think of it as feedback on an idea instead of feedback on you as a person. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think that's the other thing that's interesting about feedback too, is not everyone is coming from a good place when they get feedback. Yeah. People are mean and manipulative. And while I take feedback really serious and I listen to it, that doesn't mean exactly like you said, sometimes you have to almost listen to it with two brains is what valuable pieces can I take from this feedback that are the facts that I should listen to? And what are the pieces that I need to not take personally? So yes, you didn't like that. I said y'all in the presentation, but you loved all the information. So the information's great. Next time I meet with you, maybe I'll just be a little bit um, more fact based because that is your, that's the way you take in information. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that's important too, is all feedback is not good feedback. Not everyone is coming at it with the same authentic or mutually beneficial approach, which is hard, you know, cause you want to trust people and you want to listen to them. But then you also need to know that like in business, there are a lot of people that are watching out for themselves being someone who's more of a company group person. I think that's the two of the Enneagram three wing two is I care about humans a ton. Not everyone is like that. For me, I try to keep faith in humanity and everyone being inherently good while also knowing that like some people are kind of just jerks. <laughs> it's so true though. Talk to us more about your views on good feedback because I think especially given your role and how often you have to do this, this is like this is such meat for people who aren't good at feedback, aren't comfortable with it, might need to provide it for other people. I know you and I both share a fondness for Brene Brown and how she has said, um, uh, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. So whether it's a boardroom or a dining room, what is your approach for handling tough conversations? So I have a feedback formula that I follow that I think is really important. I think a lot of times when people are giving feedback, they are worried they're going to hurt the other person's feelings, but the facts are the facts. And so the feedback formula that I like to follow is what happened, 
what was the impact, and then very simply, what do we need to do next time for that not to happen again? So you said XYZ thing in a meeting, it made everyone feel uncomfortable or dislike a certain client we work with. So moving forward, I need you to be on team X and don't say negative things or you just keep it very simple or like you missed this deadline. So the impact was we didn't close out our books in time and next time I need you to meet your deadline. I think in personal relationships with my husband, I try to do that too. When you don't always make Ziggy sit, he knows that he can ignore you. So then he ignores me. So can you please help me by making him sit? And it sounds like kind of sarcastic in the way I'm saying it to you. But again, it's like you're trying to focus on like, this was the issue. Otherwise it's way too easy to like boil the ocean and have 4,000 other things. Like, six months ago you did this and now I'm frustrated by this. And it's like, no, this is the thing that we need to talk about. So let's talk about that one thing. And exactly like Brene, who's from Houston and also went to U of H, I love her so much. Um, she has some really good tips on it too, is it's, again, you're not, you're not burying the lead and you also want it to be a discussion. I think the other good thing that I've learned from her and her approach to it is when you're giving feedback, you also have to be in the mindset to receive feedback. So there's a time and place for, especially as a CEO, there's a time and place for me to say, hey, one off, this is the thing that happened. I, I, we're not disagreeing right now. Like this is not a debate. This is the thing that happened. Do this next time. But then following that, I want to know, was I not clear about the deadline or did we not were we thinking about what done looks like in two different ways? Like Brene Brown talks a lot about like, what does done look like? So when I'm kicking off a project to make sure that we're all on the same page about what we need to do. And again, I would say this with my husband, when we're looking at how we're going to paint a wall or my mom, or even my team is what is it we're trying to accomplish? And at that time, I want questions. I want to know, here's the project I'm telling you about what do you think done looks like paint what done looks like so then they can say I, I think that what you're looking for is us to come back with a brief and i might say no 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 i actually want you to come back to me with three creative ideas but if we hadn't had that conversation at the beginning then later my feedback is going to be well you missed the deadline and they're going to be frustrated because they're going to feel like well i gave you what i thought you were asking for and those two things are are different um, and that's where I feel like there's roles and responsibilities, conversations that need to happen, all of those different things. But it, when you're kicking off someone new or something new, that's when you need to have the space for discussion, right? But then when you're delivering feedback, especially something that's very, um, I would say black or white, like there was a deadline or we needed to do this and it didn't happen. You just need to talk. So I like that. It's what happened, what was the impact, and then what can we do next time? And sometimes, like I said, that leads to a discussion. Other times it is more simply, this is what it is. People really appreciate it too. Absolutely. And I love that that almost ties to, to kind of what you hear in like couples counseling, for example, and people, or just therapy in general, how you address like, okay, this happened. It made me feel this way. And now what can we do to move forward? It's very much focused on exactly what you said, not pulling 
what happened six months ago, not pulling your preconceived ideas or about a person into things, but just keeping it ultra focused on this is what happened. This is what we liked or didn't like about it. And now what do we need to do together to move forward in a mutually beneficial way? That is like mm, so good. I like, I think it works. It's again, it's not always easy because everyone brings a lot of emotions to the table, but if you can separate it from that and it's like, these are just the facts, then it makes everyone just feel better. So how then do you approach conversations like that? Knowing that you are an emotional person, that you're very transparent and that you have such a, such an empathy for humans and then balancing that with sticking to facts in a tough conversation. Is there anything that you do yourself to kind of mentally prepare for that so that it feels true to you and balanced and doesn't feel off for your character, for people who do know you to be a very empathetic and very emotional kind of person, if then all of a sudden in feedback, you're like, okay, fact, 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 fact. What do you, what do you kind of do there? So I think that's a really, really good question. And I think that's where in one-on-ones, people know that when they come into a one-on-one with me, I'm not going to be super emotional. Like there are going to be times where I will obviously have, you know, tough, tough feedback to deliver, but because they know going into me, into those conversations that I'm not going to be talking about what happened six months ago and I'm going to be very fact based that helps them um, know what to expect. I also prep a lot for those conversations. Like I make sure I know here's kind of what I'm going to say. And I think that's where feedback and Brene Brown talks about this in a lot in her book is you have to be in the right emotional mind space. If I'm super upset about something, I might not choose that time to have the conversation. Like I might give it a day so I can think through what I need to say. But I also think as CEO, it is my job and people should expect me to deliver tough feedback very factually. Um, I used to worry like, oh gosh, should I not send it an email? Well, if I've got eight hours of meetings, I want to address something in real time. So if something happens on a call, I want the person to know, hey, quick feedback. And I frame it the same way in the email. Like it's not like three bullets, but it'll be, this is what happened. This is the impact. This is what I need to happen next. People also need to know that real feedback as soon as you get it. And it's not a touchy feely email. I'm not saying sorry for giving the feedback, you know? Um, but it is, it is, a, it's a tough balance, you know, in company meetings, the way that we kind of structure them is there's business updates at the beginning that are, here's where we're at to our revenue goals. Here's some things we're doing from a strategic standpoint. And then at the end, we do what's called this pause for applause, where people via Zoom can go around the room and do a shout out to one of their team members. And that's the more touchy feely, you know, part of it. But I have had to, I think, set up some own kind of barriers for myself too, because when you're, when you're delivering feedback, people are going to have an emotional reaction to that. You don't want to say sorry all the time, you know, and it needs to be, I understand where you're coming from, but this is what happened and it cannot happen again. And this is why, um, you have to, as a leader, protect your own emotions too. Like you have to make sure that like, 
you have those boundaries. Leading with vulnerability does not mean I tell everyone everything about how I'm feeling every single day, but it does mean that people know that they can come to me and I'm going to be super honest, bad, good, ugly about what the facts of the situation are because they know that I care a lot without wrapping it in a bunch of pretty words or um, I would say inauthentic emotions or inauthentic apologies. Like I always used to hate when people would give me feedback and then they would say, sorry. I'm like, no, this is, I don't need you to say sorry. I just need to know what I need to do differently next time. And I don't want to spend 20 minutes of this conversation with you trying to then puff, like puff me back up or something like that. I also think when you're giving feedback, you have to also be prepared for the other person to be able to say, I need to sit with that and come back to you. And you have to let them also walk away, especially if it's negative. You know, I, I don't think, I try not to force people to have this epic conversation. You know, I want them to know this is where we are. And I think that also allows both of us to not worry that we have to, again, use all this flowery language and everything. If, if what I've just told you is frustrating, whether it's my husband or an employee and you need to walk away and think about it, that's totally okay. Let's then have a productive conversation about what happens next. But yeah, I think it is, it is tough because even being from the South, we have a tendency to want to nurture and make everybody feel okay. And that's important, but sometimes we just make mistakes, myself included, and then we need to move forward, you know? I love that. And the end goal is just being productive and moving forward in a mutually beneficial way. And I think the fact that you are so transparent that that is the mutual end goal and that it's not you just being an ass and trying to push people down. It's like that probably is also just something that's really respectable that helps people absorb feedback better because they know you're not coming from this malicious, self-serving place. You're coming from a place of genuinely wanting them and the organization to be the best it can be, which is so important. What a lot of times my feedback is, I needed your opinion in this meeting. And when you didn't speak up, it left all of the decision-making up to me. And while I am CEO, I am not a dictator, nor do I know everything about everything. So a lot of times my feedback is, I need you. I need you to speak up. You are in this role for a reason. If you don't like my idea, you can tell me that in front of people, but if you don't say anything, and then later the feedback is you didn't like the idea, well, now we've just wasted a lot of people's time. You know, <laughs> I think that people knowing that like that's another way that I approach feedback is is helpful, but it, it takes time. And I think that feedback is a cultural thing, you know, like you have to get people used to giving it to each other in real time, you know, like, if you're upset with somebody in a meeting, have a one-on-one with them and talk about it. Don't wait a month and then talk to their supervisor and then everyone sits on it. Like, so that, that feedback culture is something that we are working really hard to continue to improve because it takes time. People aren't used to it. They want chains of command and do I tell HR or what happens over here? And it's like, no, it's just like in any, any relationship, it's much better for everyone to have an open conversation when it happens, you know? Absolutely. Is there anything that you think that you would have done differently when you were going through rising the ranks 
of your company or just rising the ranks in your career in general, especially now looking back, now that you are this, this literally the CEO and top dog, anything that maybe was most beneficial to you in that process and also anything you would have done differently? I mean, really looking back and even thinking about how the advertising industry has changed and seeing what other agencies do is there's a lot of silos in organizations. Like you have your little, like maybe you're on the comms team and y'all are all super tight and it's the comms team versus the media team. So then those two teams aren't giving each other feedback because they're going up to their VP and then you've got this like epic telephone game that causes problems or like you rely too much on hierarchy where I think one of the good things about, again, MMI is even 10 years ago when I joined, everybody wanted kind of ideas from everywhere. But I do think our organization was still very siloed. Like there was a comms team, an account services team, a media team. So one of the things that we're doing now is we're really working to break down those barriers between teams. So even if you're on team X, who's on the comms team, if you work with the media team, y'all are an integrated team. You know, like y'all need to be talking to each other, sharing ideas, giving feedback. So I think that's just a way that the agents, I mean, I remember some of my first internships where it'd be, you know, the marketing team was handling one thing and the sales team had very different goals. Well, there's still symbiotic places you can find if you're actually talking to one another rather than just living in your own little silo. Also understanding what it is that other teams are challenged with helps you help them. So, you know, I think that's again, like something that we're working really hard to improve on is that integration, um, more clear communication without all of these crazy lines of hierarchy. Again, I think from you said, one of the, one of the bad things I probably learned in my career was in the army. It is very hierarchical and you do exactly what you're told and you follow that truth off a cliff. That's good in life or death situations in some cases, but that's very opposite to what I've tried to do in every, in, in companies I've worked with. And I think that seeing as a society, how much we struggle with feedback and how we struggle with disagreement, it's something I've really tried to push and I've appointed leaders who are really good at that. They've done that in their career. In some cases, I, I hired a VP of media um, three months ago. He joined remotely. It's been crazy. I love him. Um, but he's managed teams of 150 people, all remote, all over the US, and he knows how to help build that integrated feedback culture. It was something that we wanted to bring in from outside because sometimes you look at yourselves and you think, oh, we're doing this really well. Everyone likes each other. We're we're communicating. It's awesome. But then you have somebody come in who says, well, yeah, y'all are really happy and everyone does love each other. And that's great. But like, there are times when y'all don't communicate as well as you think you are. And here's some ways we could do that better. So just breaking down who, who needs to communicate what has also been, I think, really helpful. That's awesome. Do you have any advice that you would pass along to maybe a young aspiring businesswoman starting out or someone who maybe just graduated or just graduated college is about to enter the real world has similar aspirations to what you've done what would you tell her i think knowing what you want to do and finding weird ways to get there is 
super helpful. So like saying yes to anything is something that I, I did, right? Is I knew that I wanted to be in communications, but you know, there weren't as many jobs when I started as there were graduates. And so I did wedding planning for a little while and that might seem weird, but in PR and communications, you do a lot of event planning. So learning about event planning for six months was really helpful to me. Like I know how to negotiate napkin costs. And that was really great when I was planning events for brands. Um, but I think just staying true to like, okay, this is my ultimate end goal where I'd like to be. It doesn't have to be a perfect path. You know, I think also a lot of employers, me especially, like I love to see people that have worked in retail. I love to see people that have weird, crazy backgrounds. Like I'm not always, I don't always love the person who majored in X, interned in it, and then had the perfect, I was an account manager and then I was a director and now I want to be a group account director because they haven't experienced working across different teams or working across the aisle or having jobs where they're super people focused or sales focused. They've always been in a very hierarchical organization, you know? So I think also being okay with doing odd jobs actually could be really good for your resume. I will say, I also don't care as much about degrees. Like if you don't have a degree, but you've done X, Y, Z thing and you've been doing it for 10 years, especially in digital, that's fine. You know, like I know when I, when I was in comm school, I go back and guest teach at U of H because they're still not really teaching, you know, digital as much or their digital will be like a digital 101. And that's a lot of colleges are struggling with that, you know? So I think that knowing kind of what you want to do and then picking things to specialize in to get you there. Like if you want to be a senior media planner, cause you love digital and data, maybe taking a stint in wedding planning doesn't make sense for you. Right. But learning Facebook really well and running Facebook ads for your mom's company on the side is exactly what you need to be doing. You know, so those are the little things that I think help if you understand kind of what your, your end goal. Again, for me, it was like, I wanted to be in communications because I love people and I wanted to be in a job that would ultimately let me lead and mentor. And so everything I did helped ladder up to that in various ways. I mean, I think I learned some of the best things and made some of the best connections bartending. My first real communications internship, I was bartending and one of my fellow bartenders, sisters worked in PR. So she got me my first internship at a true PR place. If I hadn't met her, I would have been sending resumes, cold calling, applying, um, and so I think even some of those weird things have benefited me more than being in PRSA or something like that. And not to knock PRSA, I think PRSA is fantastic. But when you're young, you just, you don't know where recommendations are going to come from. I think also for young people that I've even encountered today, like their mom might have a really good idea or want to introduce them to me. And a lot of times people won't want that introduction or want that help because they want to find it on their own where I'm like, no, no, let your family, let your friends, let people help you. Like those are often really good connections. Cause I would rather look at somebody's resume from a warm person I know than just getting a resume off the internet. 
I love that too because it it emphasizes taking away ego and I feel like ego holds people back in so many ways but just focusing on actual skills and being able to connect that to where you want to go is so huge it's like I deal with that all the time if people ask me how to do what I do now and it's funny because I went to the Wharton School of Business and like did I learn anything of what I'm doing in my life and job now at Wharton no, like should, could or should I get hired by like a big, I don't know, a big bank or something in finance? No, I, no one should hire me in finance. I'm not good at it. Like that's not where my skills are. So it was like, I dug my heels in and focused on building skills and what I was actually interested in pursuing on the side while I was getting a degree in economics. And now, I mean, like, Sorry, mom and dad, but I don't use my economics degree <laughs> to do what I do now. So a lot more than you realize, though. You know what I mean? Like understanding the ebb and flow of business and helping you plan out even like what you should be doing in two years. Like it's totally true, though. Like you take the pieces from Wharton that you can apply to your big dreams. Right. And the cultural economics part of it, you might not worry about as much. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, and like what you said too, they're not teaching like digital, it might be very basic digital media, but everything beyond that, right. Here's the (laughs) internet, here's this thing called Facebook and you can run ads on it, have a nice day. (laughs) Like It's like everything that I wanted to do when I was in college to pursue my blog, I was on YouTube or I was Googling like basic information and educating yourself, you know, like you can get a degree and that's great, but don't be afraid to dig your heels in and use the very free, very popular google.com to further your education (laughs) because so much you can learn there and you really just have to be savvy with your search, your search bar and be willing to like start off at ground zero and you can go places with that. So I love that you said too, you know, a degree is great, but like a degree is not everything. And that doesn't mean just because you have it does not mean that you are an expert in it or that you are the best person for the job. So having that very well-rounded perspective is like, ooh, clutch. I agree. And I think we haven't really talked about this much, but like I, one of my biggest kind of, um, I did life defining moments. My dad was super awesome. He was in sales. He didn't necessarily have a degree in sales. Um, he passed away a long time ago, but one of the things I, I learned from him that I think is important, even thinking about like you and your job, me and my, my job, having people or some element of sales on your resume, even if you're just working at American Eagle, and I know that's hard because retail right now, but like, knowing that you know how to sell something makes me excited to see your resume because if you can sell a drink in a bar or you can sell a tank top i know that you know how to sell an idea you might need some mentoring to get there but that's another thing that i feel like again people think certain jobs are beneath them but I saw my dad like work his way up through these crazy sales organizations and he like just crushed it. And it was amazing to see how his weird background, you know, brought him to really high heights. And so, yeah, that sales piece too, I think is something that people discount again, like work at McDonald's. Like it's there, it teaches you to be good with people. It teaches you patience and kindness. And it shows me that like, you can also be in really stressful, high, crazy situations. Yes. And I love that too, because it's like 
don't just do the job and like just show up and do the bare minimum. It's like figure out what you can bring to it and what you can get out of it because it can, both of those things are important. So if you're showing up as your best self to do your job the best you can, there's also stuff that you will get from that. Like even if you're not thinking of it in the moment, you'll look back and be like, wow, like I remember how that, I was handling that super difficult customer and just even the deep breathing that I had to learn every time that I was on the phone with that client now helps me when I'm dealing with this difficult person. It's like you can connect the dots between anything if you are looking to do so and trying. So that's like, that's awesome advice. Yeah. I think people just, that you have these mental preconceptions about um, what job, what certain jobs are. And again, that's why I love the way the industry has changed is I think more people are like me where they're open to hiring people with different backgrounds. Yeah, I love that. So Maggie, I want to close off by asking you two questions that I ask all people who come on the Thrive Podcast. And that is, what does Thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your own everyday life? So thriving for me just means being very unapologetic about who I am and giving myself grace and forgiveness on days when I haven't done that at my best. So I think that's, that's for me, um, how I strive to thrive in every day. Again, I think this is the Enneagram part of me. I want to do everything perfect. I want to be the best weightlifter. I want to be the best CEO. I want to be the best dog mom. I want to be the best friend, wife, all of the things you have to have space to give your brain a break. So I have tried to, like, I don't read business books as often. I read fantasy because I want to read something that is fun and allows my brain to shut off, you know? So thriving for me means that constant seeking of balance. I don't know that I will ever find it, but if I push myself too hard in every area, then I fail in all of them rather than saying, this is my focus right now. It is a global pandemic. CEO and wife are my two, two top things. If I can't do weightlifting this week, fine. Who cares? I'll go for a walk with my dog, you know? Yeah. And I, I think if you don't learn where you need to focus for that time in your life or that season, then it, you just exhaust yourself. It's so true. Give yourself the space in the season that you are in because we don't all bloom all the time. So yeah hundred percent. I love that. Maggie, thank you so, so, so much for giving just so much wisdom and your time, of course. Oh my God, you're so busy. <laughs> so thank you so much oh, for I just coming. You. And awesome. yeah, you are just a superstar. So I'm so honored that you are here. And I'm sure that everyone listening has just gotten a wealth of knowledge to further their own careers and help them thrive. So cannot thank you enough. Well, now Ziggy's back to joining us as we close out. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. I love you. And I'm just so grateful for your friendship. I love you too. Have a wonderful day. (laughs) Wait, before you go, if you like what you just listened to, drop us five stars on iTunes. Make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. And if you're on Instagram, snap a screenshot and share to your story with what episode you're tuning into and tag me at Erica Legenza with what part resonated with you the most. That way I can see what's helping you and your friends can pick up a helpful tidbit too. 
Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.